uh, Rosemary Jay ended with a part of a poem about the Martin Luther Gossip. I won't touch on the poem, <clears throat> but I want to start with the right to be forgotten. And I want to say that I've always felt that this is an overstatement. It was a welcome overstatement to attract attention to the review of the EU legal framework, and I think Vivian Redding has used it repeatedly in that fashion. It apparently also worked as an interesting red flag for David Erdos to attract attention to this uh, event. Uh, a provocative statement. Um, some of the speakers this morning got carried away by the provocation, I think. And I, I Will Dutton, I've given some feedback on his statements because he was speaking about data protection rather than the right to be forgotten that he was so carried away by. It. Um, it is an overstatement, but it's also a welcome overstatement in the sense that there is too much, too little attention on how we organize deletion, how we organize a timeline in um, in the life of, of, of data being processed. Um, and the point was made this morning by Artem Rayo. He said it explicitly, if you analyze the relevant article in the regulation, you see that it is very little more than an emphasis on organizing erasure and deletion. Now, there are sufficient problems still, but I want to make that first of all. It's also something of a mistranslation um, the droit de l'oubli in French is not really the right to be forgotten. So there is an overstatement in, in the process we got carried away. But um, then point two is that when data protection was invented, say in the 70s and, and landed in Convention 108, there was very much the idea that this was being developed, it was invented in the, uh, the borderline between Article 8, privacy, private life, and Article 10, freedom of information, freedom of expression. In fact, in the preamble of the convention, you see that reference clearly. It was to, to, to develop principles which would provide protection in the field of tension between uh, free flow of information and protection of private life. And on the level of the convention, I think that has been quite successful. And I'm not, I'm not um, surprised that the Council of Europe tends to come to the position that there is no need to put the right to be forgotten, and probably not uh, an exemption for uh, free expression in, in the convention. However, when it came to specifying these principles, in a directive with much more detail, the problem became more evident, and this is why we now have Article 9. Uh, Article 9 was um, presented on the screen, and it takes very careful reading to really get the message. It, it doesn't say provide exemptions. It, it very clearly says provide those exemptions, it's a shell provision, which are necessary to strike the proper belts. 
And this was a provision um, against the background of the wide diversity among EU member states. Then there were 12. Now we have 27, and soon we will have a few more. Wide diversity, cultural, legal differences. Um, and I think it was just very wise to provide for that, um, for that exception in, in this way. Um, one of the very first exercises of the Article 29 Working Party was to take stock of um, the state of play under Article 9 in the then 12 member states. And this document is still on the 29 website. It was adopted in, I think, 1997. Um, and it also showed some of the techniques. In my own country, the Netherlands, of course, obviously I know best, um, the choice was to exempt the press from, not from the substantive provisions. All the substantive provisions continue to apply but exempt them from the supervision by the Data Protection Authority and uh, from um, the preventive requirements like notification, etc. This was based on the situation then, and I think it pretty much still uh, continues to exist, where there is a lively practice of civil litigation and a well-functioning press complaints council with, by and large, very cooperative media. Now, this may change, uh, the market may become more vibrant, and then uh, perhaps the press council, uh, the self-regulatory mechanism are sidelined. But the, the courts are now looking back at um, publications and sometimes near publications. Uh, private parties can, can move for a, in order not to publish, etc. But it is typically um, uh, ex post rather than ex ante. Um, on the basis of the present uh, directive, we have two interesting cases of the Court of Justice. And, um, Rosemary, you were looking for the definition of journalistic. Well, the Court of Justice has said it twice, and it was very clear in, in the Finnish case. Both cases were Scandinavian, by the way, very interesting. One Swedish, Lindquist, and the other was Sata Media where the court has taken as starting point of its analysis that Article 9 truly aims to provide a uh, protection to free expression so that journalistic, literary, artistic uh, is to narrow and should apply to expression activity, period. And of course, when you apply that to the current reality, it does, it seems, read certain media. Uh, cover uh, blogs uh, and, and, and so forth and so on, and websites. You don't need to have a, a certificate of a registered, being a registered journalist to, to, to qualify. Now, the Sata Media case was about a company which was making big profits on the basis of the tradition in Finland that all tax uh, information is public, that at least the outcome, the uh, the tax, the, 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 the tax to be paid, and they were commercializing this. You could get messages on the basis of the information in CD-ROM. You could get SMS. It was downloaded on websites, etc. And it was the 
data protection authority in Finland moving against this particular activity. It shows another thing, data protection law does not, is not triggered by privacy or not privacy, it also applies to information which is in fact in the public domain. And in certain media, the court says explicitly, this is the case. And then in the end refers back to the balance in Finland, and I've been told that in the end the data protection commissioner got his remedy, etc., etc. Um, but I want to also speak about the present proposal, where Article 80 of the regulation seemingly simply recycles the exception of Article 9. On careful analysis, that's not what it is doing. And I think there we have two, maybe three points of improvement. The words, to the extent necessary, are missing. It is now an even more open shell provision. Shall provide exemptions. I don't think that is wise. Um, it, it should be to the extent necessary to strike a proper balance. The second, um, I would certainly not recycle the language of journalistic, artistic, and literary, because the court has now made this wider. And then thirdly, it might be helpful to, to use language which is in the EU Charter of Fundamental Rights and say, and these exceptions, however you're going to make the balance, need, do not, uh, should not affect the essential elements of either right. So you cannot provide exemptions uh, to the expense uh, in a disbalanced way. Then at least we get in this area where harmonization is probably going to be very, very difficult, and this is why there is this big exception, at least some, um, some criteria for courts at a higher level to, to evaluate whether this exception has been provided in a proper way. Um, there is a lot of case law in uh, Strasbourg on how to strike the balance, and the message is there is a pretty big margin of appreciation. So the outcome in the UK uh, may well be different from Finland, Greece, Portugal, etc. So how could this, in terms of substantive provisions, working practice, um, and linking this to the discussion we had this morning. Now, I have to go quick, quickly. It seems that there is no reason to exempt the press from provisions on unlawful collection. I think the, the UK investigations make one thing abundantly clear. There's no reason to do that. Um, there is there is perhaps a reason to provide for some exemptions if it is the press archives. Um, and, and maybe there is a good point in, in saying that whenever this is to, uh, with a view to publication and then strictly speaking, uh, this, this should not be affected. So the issues we've been looking at this morning all start with a publication which has taken place. And if I were, when I was listening to Martimi Rayo, he said it a few times, that is bringing more nuance in how we deal with publications. Is the approach, once done, 
it's there to stay forever, or is there a way to sort of reduce the effect of the publication? Publication is completely legitimate, but is it unlimited? Well, if you look at conventional press law, the original publication may, may be completely legitimate, but if the facts change, then repeating the original is no longer legitimate. And there, there are repeatedly, you get increasingly more, more pushback. The idea of reducing the effect of publicity by thinking in terms of making this not searchable is, <coughs> strikes me as, 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 as very uh, relevant. I would not like to invite the legislator to take a stand on the status of search engines. That would be something for the court to decide on the basis of the general definition of control or not. We will have that answer probably in a year's time. And if the regulator would decide a search engine, then the next year there is another phenomenon, so I would like to see this, um, uh, but I must say I am doubtful uh, whether it is wise to put the emphasis of the remedies on the search engine, that is not just a bridge to the next week, mm -hmm. uh, but I would, I, would, I would be inclined to look at the, the source and uh, where the cases referred in Spain to legal publications, compulsory publications, seems to me that some of this publicity is either not fully justified, not originally, or not anymore. So it needs to be addressed in, in this way. Finally, um, I have no interest in whatsoever in rewriting history, but um, uh, sometimes an historian cannot find anything because it's gone. And maybe there was a good reason to, to, to delete it, and that we simply have to accept this. So, Making everything searchable, just in, in the case that historians might find interesting stuff, is not sufficiently legitimate. But I wouldn't like to organize uh, destruction uh, in an excessive way either. So sometimes you have to simply accept the outcome of the balance. Thank you. Well, thank you very much.